Thank you for listening to First Baptist Church of Conway. It's our prayer that this message is both an encouragement and a challenge to you as you grow in faith. As we all move forward in light of COVID-19, we want to encourage you to make a priority of joining us in person for worship. Because as you know, listening to a podcast can never replace the need we all have for fellowship and corporate worship. So we look forward to seeing you soon. In the meantime, here is this week's message. So good morning. Again, I hope you've had a great week. I hope it's been a relaxing but busy and productive week. Uh, Today, we are continuing our sermon series titled, titled The Journey of Faith, where we are looking over and looking at the major themes in the book of Hebrews. And today, we are continuing a discussion we had a couple of weeks ago where we're going to continue talking about Jesus being our high priest And we're going to dive into a different side. When we didn't get it last time, but we're going to dive into that section this morning. And just to catch everybody up, remember a couple weeks ago we learned that Jesus is our high priest, the great high priest. Meaning he's better and greater than any other high priest who has come before him. And we learned that the high priest was the main religious leader of Israel. The high priest would represent uh, God to the people and represent the people to God. He would be the mediator of the covenant, meaning he would make sure that Israel followed the laws and the rules to to, um, continue on in that covenant that God formed. Remember, covenant's about a relationship, and God established a covenant between him and his people, and the high priest would manage that. He'd watch over it and ensure the people were continuing in it. And we learn that Jesus being our high priest means that you and I, we can approach God. We no longer need another mediator. We no longer need a priest. We no longer need a religious leader for us to have access to God. We can boldly go to him in prayer. We can know that he hears us and we can have a relationship with him. Jesus now does that. And remember, we learned that the author tells us to to hold on to our faith. Remember that Jesus is the beginning and the end. It starts with Jesus and our faith ends with Jesus. Well, then the author, well, he goes into great detail about Jesus being the high priest. I mean, great detail, about five chapters worth of detail. And instead of us exploring five chapters of him arguing about why this is true, we're going to focus in on just a couple of verses this morning where it sums up about everything he said. It's the summary and transition verse. We're going to look at that and see the application he gives you and I for the atonement, the death, the shedding of the blood, the atonement of Jesus. So let's dive into it. If you have your Bible with you, open up to Hebrews chapter 10, verse 19. If not, well, it's right here on the screen. He says this, therefore, meaning everything he just talked about, about five chapters. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain that is his body, and since we have a great high priest over the house of God. Let's just pause there because I want us to focus in on the blood of Jesus. You ever wondered why Jesus had to die? You ever say, well, I mean, I I just, why did he have to die? Why did it have to be that way? Well, let's talk about, remember blood, and then we're going to have to catch up on some Old Testament history here. Remember the shedding of blood dates back all the way to Passover. Remember the first Passover? We've talked about it before, where Israel, they were slaves in Egypt, and God sent Moses. He said, go get my people out of there, 
but Pharaoh wouldn't let them go. And, and after a lot of plagues and a, a lot of different things to allow Pharaoh to let them go, Pharaoh just wouldn't let God's people go. So the Egyptians, well, they were about to experience the wrath of God. And, and I know we don't like saying that word, but I don't know how else to describe what happened to the Egyptians other than them experiencing the wrath of God. So they were about to experience it, but God said, listen, if you sacrifice a spotless lamb and put the blood on the doorpost, we will pass by, we will pass over that house and nothing will harm your family. The blood, the blood would protect them from the wrath of God. And the event was called Passover. And Israel was told to celebrate this passing over once a year, to celebrate, to remember that God had delivered them out of slavery, that God had delivered them out of bondage, that God had answered their prayers, and they were passed over, they were spared that day. So not only was blood used for the Passover event, the rest of the Old Testament sacrificial system was built on animal sacrifices it was built on the worship and the atonement of God through those sacrifices. And, and atonement means payment for sins. So look what Hebrews 9.22 said. It says, in fact, the law requires, requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. Let's pause and just remember, sin really is a big deal. Because the connection you and I may go, well, why did something have to die? I mean, why did blood have to be shed? Because sin is a big deal. God has always said sin is a big deal. God has never said sin isn't a big deal. He said it's such a big deal. In fact, it's gonna cost a, a life. That's how big of a deal it is. And if you had to sacrifice one of your purest, one of your best well, animals, how many people still raise animals? Okay, let's say you had to sacrifice your biggest and your best house or your biggest and best car or your biggest and best, whatever's important to you, whatever thing, you, if you had to sacrifice it every time you sinned, would you think about sin a little bit differently? Like, man, if I have to give something up because I did it, how about I just don't do it? I was like, yeah, great idea. How about we just don't do it, then you just don't have to sacrifice. But you see, today our culture wants to diminish sin. We want to create a society that there's nothing wrong and sin doesn't exist. And if there's no such thing as sin, then you don't need grace. And if you don't need grace, guess who you don't need? Jesus. But sin is a big deal. Sin is a real thing. And we do need grace and we do need Jesus. Remember, that's why he came to us. He came to be our high priest and to sacrifice himself for us. We looked at this verse already, but let's look at it again. Hebrews chapter two. 17 says, for this reason, being Jesus, he had to be made like them, fully human in every way, in order that he might become a merciful and faithful high priest in service to God. Remember, high priest would be the one that day of atonement sacrificed for the whole nation. Okay, service to God and that he might make an atonement there's our word, for the sins of the people. But how did Jesus make the atonement? What did he use? Himself. 
You see, you and I, we still need a payment for our sins. We still need a sacrifice. But the amazing thing is, and, and why we don't have to continue on doing sacrifices if we put our faith and trust in Jesus Christ, is because Jesus is eternal. Which means because Jesus gave his eternal life for us, then his sacrifice lasts for eternity. I mean, it just it makes sense. It just all comes together. We no longer need to offer sacrifices simply because he shed his blood for us. Look at Hebrews 9, 26. The second part of the verse says this. But he has appeared once for all at the culmination of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. He came down to do away with the effects of sin. He came to destroy the bondage to it. And through him, you and I can be forgiven. We no longer need to sacrifice because Jesus is eternal. And I know you're asking this. You're saying, okay, Brian, 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 really? You're saying, Brian, really? I mean, it's nice that the author had all these years to write all this up after Jesus, right? It just seems like this author's trying to make sense of Jesus and the Old Testament and tie it all together because even today in the 21st century, people still don't understand how the Old Testament works with Jesus. People still have a lot of questions. And it's almost like this author sat down to try to make sense of it all. And it's like, but, but Brian, did, did Jesus really think what he was doing was tied to the Old Testament? I mean, did he really think he was like fulfilling it and putting it to end? Is this just something that people came up with later to like make Jesus make sense? And I have to say, those are great questions. I am glad we are on the same page. I'm glad you're asking that kind of thing. But I want you to know that absolutely Jesus knew exactly what he was doing. In fact, this is what the author's trying to explain to us. Jesus says it in a couple of words. The author of Hebrews took several chapters to explain to us. Say, no, look, guys, this all fits together. Because you remember the night before Jesus died. You remember he was in the upper room and sharing that Passover meal, that once-a-year celebration meal with all of his disciples. And during that meal, they would eat unleavened bread to remind them about the bread their ancestors had to eat, uh, eat when they were in haste to leave. They would have four cups of wine to drink, all representing different things about the Passover. And it was a tradition. It was established by God. God said, you have to do this once a year. And it's at that meal where they are celebrating the Passover, where they're eating the bread, where they're drinking the wine, where Jesus interprets the entire event, takes the entire tradition, and says, now it's about me. Look what he says in Luke 22. We're gonna jump right into it. He says, and he took the bread and gave thanks and broke it. And he gave it to them saying, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me, which is why we take communion. And the same way after the supper, he took the cup saying, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, the bread represents the body that was broken, that he gave, he he gave for us. It wasn't taken. He gave for us. And the cup is the blood that was poured out for the atonement and the forgiveness of our sins. And so when we are celebrating the Lord's Supper, when we take that together, we're remembering not just the Exodus story. We're remembering the new Exodus, the new 
better and greater leader named Jesus. Remember, better than Moses, better than Aaron. Remember, he's already made all those arguments. When we are taking communion, remember, there's a new Exodus story, something different. God has led his people out of slavery, but this time it's not physical slavery. This time it's sin. There was sacrifice. This whole thing comes together, and Jesus says, it's always been pointing to me, and this is that We're remembering when we take communion, and when we take communion, that sin is real, that we needed a high priest, and Jesus was that high priest, and he did make an atonement for our sins, but this is greater than the day of atonement. Jesus made a once and for all final, eternal atonement for our sins. Can we do this to remember the death of Jesus? We remember the blood that was shed and the forgiveness of our sins. We remember that he went to the cross for us because of us. We put him there. And that hurts, doesn't it? But he gave up for us so we could live. And so we celebrate that we are new covenant people And that's what Jesus is saying here. He says the new covenant. And that's exactly what the writer of Hebrews is referring to in that verse we just read. Look at Hebrews 10 again. Therefore, brothers and sisters, since we have a confidence to enter the most holy place by the blood of Jesus, we just talked about that, by a new and living way, he's talking about the new covenant, not the old covenant, but a new covenant, Open for us through the curtain that is his body. His body is now the veil. I mean, a lot of stuff we can talk about. Let's move on. His body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God. So he not only refers to the blood that was poured out, that he was our sacrifice. He also refers to this new covenant. There's a new way to relate to God. There's a new set of rules. Remember the entire sacrificial system of the Old Testament. So they could be forgiven. So they could continue in a relationship with God. They would be his people If, look what the writer of Hebrews has already argued. Hebrews 7 says this. It says, because of this oath, Jesus has become the guarantor of a better covenant. Isn't that amazing? That guy says Jesus and everything Jesus has done is absolutely better than absolutely anything you've ever seen or heard of. Everything is better. Even the covenant, this relationship is now better. And why is it better? Well, I'll give you one reason. You and I no longer have to go slaughter goats and lambs. Aren't you thankful for that? Yeah, that alone should make you go, yup, it's absolutely better. I no longer have to do things like that. The old covenant, the old covenant has been ratified. It's been changed. And this is where Christians get real confused. The more we study, we go, okay, so we have the new covenant. We had Jesus. What about the old covenant? What about the laws? What are we supposed to do with all of that? He tells us. Hebrews 8, 13. It says, by calling this covenant new, he has made the first one obsolete. There's a new way. And what is obsolete and outdated will soon disappear. See, we are new covenant people. We're not old covenant people. We're new covenant people. The new covenant overrides the old. There's a new way to access God through faith in Jesus Christ. We have a new law, a new command, all rooted in love, with Jesus being the mediator and the guarantor of that covenant. We no longer need a priest. We no longer need those other things which it doesn't hit us that hard because we didn't live in a system where all that was radically changing. 
Just imagine where you couldn't go to God in prayer, you needed a priest to do something for you, where you had to sacrifice every time you messed up. You had to make these long journeys. But now it's so different. Now it's this new thing. You say, Brian, what does that mean for us? Okay, Jesus died for me, I get it. Is it something nice to know? I mean, does it actually affect my daily or, or perhaps weekly lives? Well, luckily for us, he's been building his argument to then tell us what to do. Isn't it nice when the authors are just crystal clear about what that means? Let me show you. He says this, Hebrews 10. He says, so let us draw near to God. Is that plural? Us. Yes, it's plural. We'll get to that. Let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with full assurance that faith brings, having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from the guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. You see, let us draw near to God. He's saying, let us worship. Let us come together and celebrate. Let us worship. It's a togetherness thing. What do we do in light of the blood that was poured out for us? We worship. What do we do in light of the fact that we don't have to kill goats, we don't have to kill lambs, that we don't have a priest, we don't have all these 600 some? What do we do? What do we do with all of that? The blood of Jesus, the death of Jesus, it, it just, he said, just worship. Just praise God. Sing to God, learn about God, draw close to God. The whole entire purpose of worship is for us to grow closer to God. And I ask you, when you come to worship, do you come to draw close to God? Or do you come to check a box? Do you come to draw close to believers? This is a call to worship. He's saying, let's celebrate. Let's celebrate the fact that God has done something amazing through Jesus. And how do we worship? Well, he tells us right here. He says with a grumpy heart, right? You see that grumpy heart? You know, grumpy was in the Bible, did you? No, it says with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, having a heart sprinkled. He's saying, in other words, heart sprinkled, cleanses us from a guilty conscience. He says, we come to God in humility. We come to God with desperation. We come to God saying, thank you for what you have done for me. You've done what I could never do. So I'm gonna come to you and I'm gonna give you my all and I wanna be with you and I wanna sit with you and I wanna know you. So let's gather together to worship, to do this thing. He says, verse 23, he said, let us hold. Let us hold unswervingly to the hope that we profess for he who promised is faithful. See, you and I, we cling to the hope we have in Jesus. We cling to who Jesus is and what Jesus said he has done, what Jesus says he will do. Because you and I, we found out that all that other stuff that we clung to in this life, when just one year we found out that all that stuff that we hoped in, it's not as guaranteed as we thought, is it? All that stuff that's going to save us, that's going to rescue us, that's going to make us something. <laughs> One little virus changed everything, didn't it? He said, no, put your hope in Jesus. It should never have been in that other stuff because he is the faithful one. He's not done. Verse 24, 
He says, and let us consider how we may spur one another. Remember, it's an us. That's what you have to see. It's an us. It's coming together. It's an us thing. Let us consider how we may spur one another towards love and good deeds. And here's what we're going to focus on. I'm so glad you showed up today. Those of you online, don't turn off now. Keep going. He says, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're gonna hone in on verse 25. There's a lot of things we could talk about. We're gonna hone in on that because just like today, back then, people were in danger of thinking they don't need others. They didn't need worship. They were busy. They had other things going on. They had other priorities. They, they didn't have to be at worship. It's not a big deal. But why this is a big deal is why he's exhorting this. Do you remember what his argument just was? Because of the blood that was poured out for you. Because of the sacrifice that he gave for you. Because we are now under a new covenant. Because of all of those things, yes, worship is important. His application is to come together to worship because of what Jesus has done, to think it's not a big deal, to think it's not important, to think it shouldn't be a priority. You have missed Jesus. The author says, no. You come together, you worship, you celebrate because of what Jesus has done. And again, this is his application. Not something I'm making up. You write it for yourself. This is a direct connection to why do we worship? Why do we encourage each other to not giving up meeting together? Because of the blood of Jesus Christ. Because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. Because worship has always been a part of what the people do who know and understand God. We gather together and celebrate and sing praises because he is God. And so we gather for those purposes. See, worship is such a big deal, and you, you know this. In the New Testament, one of the most unpopular things you ever hear about is church discipline. Y'all ever heard about that? We've all heard horror stories and all this stuff about how horrible church discipline is. Well, good. I just want to talk about that for one second. Because in the Bible, telling somebody they can't be a part of worship is harsh. It's, it's, it's a punish, not punish, it's discipline. It's saying, hey, you need to get rid of that sin. There's a lot of steps. We'll talk about it a different day. But it says, you can't be a part of this till you get rid of this thing. I mean, telling someone they can't be a part of the group is, is seen as such a harsh thing. But yet people self-remove all the time. And we go, well, it's not that big of a deal. Well, then church discipline shouldn't be a big deal. Which is it? To which you go, ah, worship. Is a big deal. I'm not saying we need a church discipline anybody right now. I'm just saying it highlights the importance of we understand that worship is important. So when people self-remove, we should think that's important. We should say, hey, we need to encourage them not giving up meeting together. This is a big deal. This is a very important thing we're doing. Worship should be a priority in our lives because worship Corporate worship is the logical exhortation from the blood that Jesus shed for you and I. This means that you and I, we should encourage others. We should remind others of the importance of coming together for worship. Did you know you were the first responders when it comes to somebody not being at worship? 
You should be the first person to call them, check in on them, check up on them, say, hey, how's it going? What's going on? You might find out they're on vacation. You may find out they have something going on. Who knows? But you are the first responders. And sometimes you may find that the pastors need to get involved. Other times you find that you just calling up, checking on them, saying, hey, we missed you today. Do you know how far that can go? We are the first responders to this. So we should call them, and as a church family, we should check in and check up on people who aren't attending. We should encourage them to be a part of this. Because I don't know about you, but me, more often than not, the times I don't feel like being at church is the time I need to be at church. When I got things going on, or I got things I shouldn't have been doing, or things have happened to me, I am just fine sitting in my room eating ice cream, watching TV. Anybody else? Yeah, all by myself. I will throw the biggest pity party around, just me and myself just complaining. Sometimes I need people to say, come, get over yourself, come on. It's the times where I need to be there. I don't want to be there. And that's what we're called to do, church, as a church, to call people, hey, where you at? I know you didn't feel like it. I know that stuff happened to you, but, but you think maybe church is the exact place you need to be, to be encouraged, to be lifted up? Do you think maybe? And now, I know some of you, some of you, you're changing your voice like my mom did when I got in trouble. Anybody else's parents do that? When I got in trouble, my mom changed her voice and called me by my full name. It's like she was making sure I didn't confuse that she wasn't talking to another Brian and it was just us in the house. I didn't understand what was happening. I was like, I was just me. You could have just said my regular name. I don't understand what's happening. So some of you, I hear you in right now, you are changing your voice and calling me by my first name, all my names, and saying, Brian, Brian, are you referring to COVID? Well, maybe. But that's for you to decide. You see, what has to blow our minds about this passage What has to blow our minds, I mean, absolutely, I can't make this stuff up. It's been in the Bible the whole time, is that the reason he is making such a big argument, the reason why he's telling us the importance because of the blood that was shed, the body that was broken, the reason why he's saying, hey, and and encourage people. I know some are out of the habit. I know they got other things going on, but hey, encourage them to come. The reason why they weren't attending church, we actually know. You wanna know why? He tells us, next verse. Not next verse, but here we go. 1032 to 33. He said, remember those earlier days? Y'all remember that? Back in the day. That's what he's saying. Back in the day, after you had received the light, that's faith, okay? After you received the faith, when you endured a great deal of conflict, full of suffering. Some of you were publicly exposed to insults and persecutions. At other times, you stood side by side with those who were so treated. Next verse. You suffered along with those in prison and joyfully accepted the confiscation of your property. They were taking people's Jeeps for going to church. I mean, that kind of makes me nervous. That's what was going on. Property, because you knew that yourselves had a better and lasting possessions. Uh, What's your greatest possession? Is it Jesus? He says, so do not, this is gut-wrenching here, do not throw away. Don't ball up and throw in the trash your confidence. Confidence in whom? In Jesus. It will be richly rewarded. 
You see, people were afraid of gathering together because they were scared of what might happen to them and what might happen to their loved ones. They were afraid they would have to suffer. They were afraid their property would be taken. They were afraid they could get thrown into prison. And so the logic is simple. If something may happen if I attend worship, I just won't attend worship. To which the author of Hebrews says, nope, not an excuse. He says, don't throw away your confidence. See, all of us, we have a choice to make. Stay with me, don't turn off, don't get mad at me yet, just bear with me, okay? We all have a choice to make. We can live by faith or fear. Both faith and fear, they guide our future. Fear gives power to the enemy. It fills your head with all the negative could-bes. Anybody had those days? All the negative could-bes, all the worst things that could possibly happen, that's called fear. You're turning that over to the enemy. You're giving your future to the enemy, and you will be extremely pessimistic and negative about the future. But faith, faith gives power to the Lord. It fills your head with all the positive could-bes. You like living with all the negative or all the positive could-bes. Yeah, faith, I, I gotta trust God. I'm activating God, I'm giving it over to him. Faith activates him and a life guided by faith is positive and optimistic. And I ask you, are you handing your thoughts and your feelings over to the enemy to control your future with fear? Or are you handing them over to the Lord saying, I trust in you and I'm gonna live by faith. Because in the scriptures, we are told to fear absolutely nothing but one thing, to fear the Lord. Nothing else, only the Lord. And we are to entrust our life now to include my Jeep and all possessions and my afterlife to him, saying, God, it's in your hands. Do what you want with it. I'm yours. Now, to be clear, I'm not telling you what's guiding your actions. I have said both publicly and privately the same thing over and over. I am not going to be the judge on how you feel about attending worship during this time or when you feel comfortable. That is on you. I'm just simply asking, is your life guided by fear, by faith? Whether COVID is here or not, we must never forget how important corporate worship truly is to where people were being persecuted, people were being thrown into jail, and the writer says, "Mm -mm. you still need to be together, you still need each other, because guess what we all found out? We have found out an isolated life isn't a good life. And what the writer has tried to communicate is an isolated spiritual life isn't a good spiritual life. It's not gonna produce what you want it to. It's not gonna produce the results you think. We need each other. And some of us have been quarantining ourselves from the church for more than a year. We've been quarantined for a long time now and we need to get back because we don't need to pretend that people, it's just during COVID that people haven't been attending worship. It's been happening for thousands of years. That's why it's in here. They don't give up meeting together. Don't think it's not a big deal. It is a really big deal. 
Now let me speak to COVID, just so there's nothing left hanging. I got to wrap that up. I've met some who tell me they're in a high-risk category, and they just say, I cannot wait to get back into church. They're just waiting for the effects of the shots to kick in, and they said, we'll be there front and center. I don't know if they said front. I made that part up. They said, we'll be there. They said, we will be there. They cannot wait to get back, and they have not given up the habit. Do you know how I know they haven't given up the habit? Because they tune in every single week. The habit is still there. They still want to be. They still attend. They just physically can't yet. I've talked to some who can't make it because um, they have family members they're taking care of. They're caregivers, and they're saying, listen, we don't want to put them at risk. It's an, it's an unfair thing, but they haven't given up the habit because it's, the habit's still there. They're attending every single week online. They're watching, saying, we can't wait to get back. I've talked to some who can't make it, but they ensure that the church continues to move on. That they're giving their tithes and offerings. Do you know how many churches have closed down and probably won't back open because of that? But as I said before, you are sitting around the most generous people that you'll ever sit around, making sure this church continues to go. However, you all remember those, you might be a redneck if? Chuck, I know you do. Does everybody else remember those? Yeah, okay. So I figured we'd have some fun with that. You may have given up the habit if you have convinced yourself that Walmart is cleaner than the church. Please let that sink in for a minute. You may have given up the habit if you've taken both shots, been through the waiting period, and still have no plans for gathering for worship. You may have given up the habit if you desperately want your kids to get back into school full time, but you will not allow them to attend church events. You may have given up the habit if you go out to eat because that was just as high as church. Y'all remember that, right? Just as high of a thing. You may have given up the habit if you allow your kids to play sports, but they can't go to church yet. I just feel like I have to say it. You know COVID lives outside too, right? I mean, sports teams have had to shut down because of outbreaks of COVID. So this idea of sports is okay, but church isn't, you may have given up the habit. And you may have given up the habit if you've replaced the habit of worship with something else you're more passionate about and more focused on now. I say all that to simply say that, listen, we miss you. We miss everybody. Your church family misses you. I miss you, most, most of you, most of you. But wherever you're at, whatever you got going on, I just wanna ask you one question. What are your regathering plans? So what are they? That's up to you. You, have, you are personally responsible to the Lord, but what are your regathering plans? Do you even have any? What needs to happen? Because the reality is, and I think we've probably known this by now, COVID's not going anywhere. A large population will not take the shots. That's the reality. So what is your plan to get back into worshiping God? Whatever it is, I just ask you to make a plan. 
to make a, a realistic plan, an obtainable plan of this is what it looks like for us to get back together with our brothers, sisters in Christ. Have a plan.